Hello and welcome to Where's Shaz, the podcast. I'm Shaz Ahmed and my mission is to empower, educate and inspire you with stories, knowledge and guests in the world of property, finance and business. So let's go. Hello and welcome again to the podcast. Uh, Liam Lawler is my guest today and he's a business development manager and one of the, the genuinely most rapid bridging lenders that I've dealt with, that's Octane Capital. Liam, thanks for coming on today. Thanks, Shaz. Thanks for having me and thanks for the uh, the intro, the rapid lender intro. Um, yeah, yeah, no, thanks for having me on. Mate, you're lucky I didn't say third generation bridging. <laughs> <laughs> you start, you'll start stealing my lines that are coming up soon. Uh, the, 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 the old tr- traditional Mark Posniak third generation chat. So yeah, We'll, we'll get to that, soon. definitely. We'll see yeah. where that came from. Um, right, Liam, so look, purpose of this podcast and purpose of this episode essentially is to add as much value to investors and brokers as much as possible, see where they can kind of package deals better, approach you with more preparation, um, and just understand what makes a good deal, really. So before we get into that, Let's talk about you, Liam. So I asked all my guests to share their mission statement. You know, why do you do what you do? Yeah, so it's, it's an interesting question. I mean, the kind of combining it with my, my journey to date within the, the finance industry and the, the lending world, um, I started out kind of my dream was to be a professional golfer. That's kind of where it started with, with me and my, my dreams growing up. Um, and I went to a, a golf college and played golf until the age of, Know, 18 really was the time where I decided at that point it wasn't going to really work out for me um, and just at the time I, I met a lot of contacts and built a lot of relationships with people at the golf club I was a member at um, and those contacts that I made got me into the sort of finance world so one of the guys I used to play golf with there owned a mortgage package company uh, up in London so I working there part-time and the kind of the, you know the rest is history really in terms of the move through so for me, the, the, the thing that I've always been keen on is, is meeting new people, building relationships. Um, and then as my kind of career progressed from working at a mortgage packages com- company to uh, going into doing my exams to become a mortgage advisor, it was very much then, a, you know, supporting people in, in their dreams and helping people buy their first properties. There was there's real kind of fulfillment in that and, and helping people achieve what they want to. And a lot of people save money for a long period of time to achieve that goal so for me it's really around the, the building relationships and and helping people kind of get to where they want to get to in the next step in their journey whether it be in investment property buying a property to live in or wherever it may be uh, has been a real real key driver for me over the last few years absolutely now so just to touch on something you said there about golf i've been to- i mean i'm terrible at golf i don't play but i've been told that the best sort of networking and the best kind of potential deals and relationships get built through golf is that correct well, I definitely, from experience of obviously playing golf for uh, all my life pretty much, um, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think there's very few uh, environments where uh, golf as a sport anyway is because of the handicap system they have in golf. You know, every, every, you can have a really good player and someone that's just a beginner and the beginner ends up winning on the day because their handicap plays into, you know, the, the shots that may, they get against you and the course, etc. But the environment of, you know, spending three and a half, four hours at sometimes with three other people that you may have never met before or you have met before and done business with. It's a, it's a really nice environment where you typically don't have people on their phones all the time and you kind of get engagement with people as you're playing. Um, so for me, it's a great place to, to network and I really enjoy the, the days of meeting new people on golf courses and obviously playing with existing people as well. Awesome. Now, a little birdie told me earlier that you're into your cycling as well. Is that right? 
I have been trying. <laughs> I have I have been trying. Yeah, the last um, I used to cycle into work actually when I worked in Liverpool Street and lived in South East London, um, which wasn't the longest cycle, but that's how I used to do my daily commute. Um, and then in last lockdown, it was one of the things that I really picked up on and thought as a bit of exercise rather than kind of eating um, <laughs> chocolate all day every day at home and not moving from my desk it definitely got me out there and burning a few calories so I've started to enjoy it hopefully if the weather gets back to um, actually being sunny and warm rather than sunny and freezing cold at the moment uh, yeah I can get back out there a bit more often fabulous right so Liam just to kind of articulate for the listeners who may not know um, you know you are a business development manager what does a BDM actually so a, B- a BDM's main role is you know, and, and my experience over the last few years of working for some, some new lenders, i.e. Octane being one of them. Previous to that, I worked at um, uh, Octopus, Dragonfly and Metro Bank. Uh, a lot of the time I've worked in roles where the lenders have been new lenders to market and not a lot of brokers may have heard of them because it's a new brand. Um, and, you know, you have to get out there and spread effectively spread the word of the business and spread the word of the company. Um, really kind of sell the company's USPs, what makes you different from other lenders in your space, which also comes with finding out what other lenders in your space actually do uh, and what the competition do. I think it's really important to understand what the competitors' products and offerings are um, and how you, how you stand and compare. So for me, it's around um, spreading that word and also managing and building new relationships with, with introducers like yourself. Um, for, for me as a BDM and, and all the jobs that I've had over the years, it's very much kind of treating the company as if it's your own company as well and, and treating your area and the people you deal with as your own little business. I think if you kind of have that mindset that you're doing it as if it's yours, you will always succeed in, in, in what you are trying to do. Um, for me as a BDM, it's just always been about doing the basics right, you know, the, the standards of getting back to people as quick as I can, uh, managing the relationships, understanding that brokers are also managing borrowers' relationships and time as well. So just being as upfront and honest and um, and open as you can with, with people is always the best way for me. Uh, and you wouldn't deal yourself directly with a client, it's you deal with brokers only, right? Exactly that. For, for me, it's just dealing with um, with introducers and, and brokers like yourself. Um, in the past, I've obviously dealt with, with direct borrowers, so I've had first-hand experience to understand what it's like dealing with people who are in high-pressure situations, um, going through you know transactions, especially in a, in a, in a high-pressure speed environment, which we work in. So I totally understand what it's like to be on the other end. So yeah, that, that also is um, something to be mindful of as a BDM. Yeah, definitely. Now, um, how long have you been with Octane, by the way? So I've been, I joined Octane in um, October, um, what was it? October twenty nineteen. Um, so yeah, I've been been for been for a little while now. The guys the guys launched um, in seven two thousand seventeen. Um, so so yeah, it's been it's been an interesting journey over the last few years. Uh, we've you know we're up to over a thousand loans, close to a billion pounds in lending. So it's been an amazing journey. I you know what I always find interesting with the BDM world, and it's natural, but it's always interesting is the. Um, Every two to three years, there's like a BDM headhunt and just rolls switching around. So you're due a switch around by the sounds, William. No, do you know what? The, the, um, yeah, you are right. You kind of, you kind of get the, uh, the LinkedIn updates from people changing roles and stuff. But for, for, for me, um, you know, the switch from working where I did it with, with Dragonfly and Octopus, obviously the, you, you may know the backstory on Octane, that the, the three guys that founded Octane, uh, Matt, Mark and John, were the original kind of founders of Dragonfly Property Finance. 
So for me, the sort of move from Octopus to Octane was slightly different than what it would have been from leaving. Uh, I really enjoyed working with the, with the people at Octane, uh, sorry, Octopus and the, the team over there. Um, so for me, it was almost switching across to people that I'd already worked with in, in the past and who I knew. Um, and I really worked, really enjoyed working with, with you know, Mark, Matt and John. So for me, it was a, a no-brainer to move across to join these guys. Um, but certainly not looking, certainly not looking for that sort of <laughs> that three-year rich or whatever it is. Yeah, haven't got that yet. I thought I'd get a world exclusive there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly that. All right, Liam. So you mentioned actually around high-pressure situations. Um, and I think brokers, especially, there is, there's always high pressure. We're always kind of on edge and just want to get things done, done, done. Um, how do you personally deal with difficult brokers or difficult conversations? For me, for me, it's always about having them as soon as possible. Um, you know, difficult conversations and, um, you know, if, if difficult situations you may, may come up against. The more you put them off, the more difficult I think they become. I mean, the quicker you deliver the news, the quicker you get back to somebody with... Uh, either bad news followed by you know a solution for me is always the best way to handle anything when it when a problem arises um, yeah. sitting on it and hopefully hoping that it disappears just it never does disappear it just gets worse so yeah. f- for me that's the that's the main main approach that I have to any kind of issues um, what I try to do is use my experience that I've, I've gained over the years to be more solution based when delivering some form <laughs> of bad news um, but yeah, for me, it's about just being upfront and honest as you as you can be throughout the whole process and, and delivering news in a timely manner that you can. Yeah, and I think sometimes, especially from my end, I think a phone call is better than an email. We've had a situation amongst yeah. ourselves where something, something happened, which wasn't ideal from my perspective. I sent an email and then I read it back and thought, you know what, this doesn't sound great. It doesn't read very well. But then we yeah. had a phone call and it was like, yeah, actually, it's fine. So totally, totally that. Yeah, and I think you know, it's it's um, we live in a world now where where email and uh, you know typing messages and whatever is is just this is the norm and it's the way that people communicate. And probably the amount of email traffic I get on a daily basis is has gone up you know, tenfold or whatever it may be over the course of lockdown. Just because I think people are so much you know so much more comfortable now just pinging an email off and thinking, you know, what, I've kind of dealt with that or whatever it may be. But yeah. there's the, the, the old school approach of, um, of calling and discussing things sometimes. I think what it is, is you kind of understand someone's tone more on the phone than you would across an email. You Definitely. know, you read, an e- you read an email sometimes in your own tone of how you feel it's being portrayed or even in your own, you know, your own voice in your head, uh, as opposed to then getting that, that feel of what someone is trying to explain to you over a phone. But yeah, no, we understand it's a high pressure, high pressure world we're in, and uh, you know we're all we're all happy with the end results when they <laughs> when they come off. Yeah, absolutely right. So let's get a little bit more into Octane right now. Then, so yeah. Octane Capital, um, what would you say is the, is the USP? Well, Octane is obviously, although it's a new a new business, um, as I mentioned earlier, we we come with a hell of a lot of experience, and that experience has obviously been bred out of the the guys who founded the business. Um, alongside, you know, the the initial team that came in, uh, Octane, um, very much so all worked together at previous places or knew each other from before. So it kind of helps you and gives you the benefit of, of hitting the ground running straight away. Um, and that's been been constant over the last few years. As the team's grown, you know, the experience has been passed down through other members of the team. Um, we, you know, we've, we've still been actively growing the team over the last, last couple of years as well. Um, and, and that's sort of compounded in us continuously lending through the lockdown period was, was massive. Um, and I think it held us in really good stead because we, we found that the relationships we had with brokers, um, existing contacts and, and brokers we work with, 
those relationships got stronger throughout that period because never never so much has it been um, as important as having confidence in a lender you know the we always talk about certainty and confidence in funding and that lockdown period was the height of it really you know yeah. if you could trust someone that they're going to, when they say they'll do something they'll they'll actually follow through and do it mm-hmm. um, was massive so we, we got a real real strong reputation through that period and we also built up a lot of new contacts and new brokers that potentially have been let down elsewhere from, from other lenders, you know, not being able to fulfill the, um, the lending requirements coming to us. So for us, I think the last, um, the last 12 months through lockdown and then the start of this year have been really positive and we've really grown off the back of that. Sure. And you mentioned around Mark and the other, the other guys earlier. So in terms of the back office and the team, what kind of experience is there? Who do you guys have on board? So we've, when I joined actually, and uh, and I joined at the same time as a guy called Graham McCauley, who I know you're you're dealing with at the moment on yeah. um, on a couple of deals we've got going on. So so Graham and um, Matt Smith, who are this, who's the director of credit, have actually worked together for, I think it's something like twenty twenty five years. It's wow. it's yeah, it's mental. Um, they've worked at lots of different places together. So having that kind of. Um, you know, Graham knows how Matt thinks and how Matt looks at deals. And Graham is the head of our, our short-term lending credit team here. So you're almost, you know, he, he, he knows exactly how Matt will look at deals and how we'll sign them off. So we've got that autonomy that really flows through the team and the ability to make decisions and make them quickly. Um, so the experience we've got in our credit team, and we kind of call it the engine room, if you like, of, of the people that are making decisions on our, on our um, applications, is really strong that coupled with the bdm team having so much experience and you know you you will look you will look and feel and see it when you're sending us stuff across and i'm sure you you'll agree that you know we come back to you very quickly with with responses on if we can or can't do a deal and also you know trying to maybe mold it or structure it in a way that does mean we you know we can fulfill the requirement they're looking for um and when we say we can do a deal as a sales team we do actually fulfill that, you know, that indicative terms or where it may op- we, we've offered uh, into an actual application into the credit team. So there's a lot of experience um, through the sales and, and credit team. Um, and, and that really does show in the way we service our brokers and uh, our borrowers alike. Sure. And just can I ask, because I'm always interested, um, the funding line, is it private investors or is it institutional funding? It's, it's institutional funding. Um, so we, we've worked, we work for a company called Pamplona PCO, um, and that's been since we since we launched. So, yeah, they're they're a, a a strong funding partner of ours. And as I say, no more, no more so than showing that throughout the the whole lockdown period in terms of still funding loans. Albeit we had a you know slight step back in appetite, but um, yeah, they stood by us throughout that, which is um, a testament to them and, and obviously us in terms of the, the deals we we're writing. Absolutely. Now. Liam, can you, in your words, because one of the things I find great about Octane is the fact that it's rolled up interest. Uh, For the benefit of people listening, do you mind explaining what that is and why that is a benefit? Yeah, sure. So uh, the rolled up interest, we we typically apply to our loans. And as you've you've probably seen on the refurbishment side, um, we also apply that on our developer exit deals as well. So the, the ability that we have rolled up interest is that with a refurb facility, we're obviously working towards the, the end value. So the, the new gross development value once the works have been done. Um, and what the rolled up interest allows us to do is start at a higher loan to value day one, because we're not retaining the interest for the term of the loan um, upfront. So it's literally just being rolled and added as we go through. The other thing that we do, as, as you know, is on the actual refurb works themselves, is we don't charge interest on those refurb works until you've physically taken the money from us. 
So the benefit of doing that on a rolled interest basis is that the interest is being charged on a daily basis based on the actual funds that are drawn uh, on that facility at any one time. So it gives, the, it gives the borrower the ability to net more money day one. Um, and it also gives us the, us the flexibility, obviously, of, of charging interest based on what the balance is as we move through the facility, rolling up towards um, you know 70% loan to the new GDV, um, as opposed to day one retaining all the interest. Definitely. And I think what I like, again, is the, um, I think in the market right now, your refurb bridging proposition, I think, is probably one of the strongest, just because of what you said there. As you know, investors, as far as they're concerned, they just want as much money on day one as possible. Um, of course. And this type of uh, system allows them to have that. Um, and what about your current kind of product range? You know, what are your minimum loan sizes, loan to values, loan to GDVs? Rate-wise, I know where you sit roughly, but yeah, what, what does that look like? Yeah, I mean, because we, we, we're sort of covering the whole, the whole suite of specialist lending at the moment, um, if you like. So, you know, anything from standard residential commercial bridging finance um, into then the, the refurbishment bridging finance, as we've mentioned. Um, we're then looking at development exit loans as well. And then also our buy-to-let term facility. So it, it's kind of covering the full, this full spectrum or the, the, the whole sort of life cycle of specialist lending. Um, and we've got a lot of borrowers that come to us for initial bridge that we then take into a refurb and then sometimes subsequently exit back out onto our, our term deal. Um, our minimum loan size at the moment is 150K. Um, and our maximum LTVs, depending on where we are on, on, on product areas, i.e. developer exit, refurb, we can start at 75% um, and rolling up to 70% of, of GDV. And then on our, our kind of bridging at the moment, we're around 70% loan to value. And on our buy-to-lets for the cheaper deals, we're at 75% also. So I'd say kind of anywhere ranging from um, 65 to 75% across the board on all the, all the products we're offering. Um, and, and pricing for us at the moment is, is, you know, we are getting really cheap when it comes to the refurb deals and also on the larger loan deals like the developer exit loans also. Um, that, that for us at the moment is where we're really competitive. Um, as you've probably experienced, we don't have a rate card when it comes to bridging um, or, or the short-term financing. We work with our introducers as to how we price the deal, um, what works for everybody in terms of arrangement fees and prop fees, and then subsequently what the monthly rate works out to be. But I would say our pricing is anywhere from sort of 0.55 up to sort of 0.85, somewhere in that kind of region. And that's across yeah. the board. I mean, I've had, I think if I was going to give an average, I've had 0.75% as a mean average. Now, yeah. the way I look at that is a lot of investors listening often try and raise private finance. Yeah. But to be fair, if you annualise 0.75% times 12, it's about the same as you'd offer an investor. And actually, at least with you guys, although there's more paperwork, at least with a lender, they're there to lend. Whereas yep. with an investor, they, they may have cold feet, they may change their mind, they might, may want their money sooner. So I think it's worth understanding, yeah, actually, people say bridging is expensive. Well, actually, it's around about the same as an investment from a private individual, slightly more in fees, but you're dealing with a business that's there to lend you money. Um, one thing, other thing's worth mentioning, not all lenders do this on refurb, but some lenders I know on the refurb propositions, when they... The when there's a drawdown they'll come out and visit but they'll lend you based on the current value at that time now yeah. that doesn't work very well on most deals because what you end up doing is once you've started a refurb then for that month or two months the actual value's gone down 
So it means your drawdowns are quite limited, but you guys don't do that, do you? No, exactly. And that's a really, it's a really good point to make, Shaz, actually. The, we, we've, we've come across borrowers in the past, especially in the, within the last 12 months, where um, they've been sort of stung with that approach. The, as you rightly say, when you kind of got a refer project, you, you end up having kind of an, like an S-line or an S-curve valuation uh, on the property where you, your property's worth um, X day one, and that's the, the, what we're lending against on our day one land loan. But then once you start knocking it around and, and doing the work to it, the value is going to go down slightly until you start getting through the work. So then you start working its way back up towards that gross development value that we're working towards. What, what we have is we get our valuers to initially give us a appraisal on what the property is going to be worth day one on a residual appraisal or, or you know, whatever it may be, the approach we're taking. Um, how much then the, the cost of works will be and then what the end GDV will be. The bit in the middle in terms of funding the works, as long as we have 100% of those works funded within our facility that we're offering, we know that we're going to be able to work towards that GDV because we're, we're funding 100% of the works. So for us, there's no need to keep revaluing it every time we go out and see the property. Um, what, we do, what we do offer and, and one of the kind of USPs of our refer product is that we have our own internal asset managers that will go out and visit the property when drawdowns are required. So they will go out and monitor the build uh, monitor the progress of the works and obviously see the evidence of the funds spent and then we can then draw down within um, from sorry the refurb facility uh, and ensure that the actual build is obviously on on budget and on schedule to to fit within what we've offered out sure no, it, like I say, it's, it's a good structure and i think not every lender is is the great it's the best for every deal but i think you guys in that refurb bridging space do sit very very competitive yeah um, definitely in terms of bridging now, I think I've noticed a lot of lenders, and you guys haven't done this because you've always been called Ocking Capital, are kind of rebranding. So instead of being you know, XX bridging, they're now XX property finance moving into term loans. Hmm. Any idea why that is, first of all? No idea. No, no, not, not sure. I mean, unless, unless it's something to do with maybe where the funding's coming from for those, um, for those loans. It may be that they have different entities that you know, a fund, a fund in those term facilities, it could be, that could be the reason, but unsure as to why that would be. Um, and then in line with that, you guys do offer term loans or exit, exit loans if people need it. Yeah. What's the proposition in that space? Because it's quite flexible, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, we, we've, we've always offered buy-to-let finance um, and it's, it's, you know, we call ourselves specialist property finance, but the buy-to-lets we, we were offering for the initial couple of years were about as specialist as you could get in terms of the type of deals and borrowers we would take on. We've now sort of edging ourselves closer to that marketplace of, um, you know, the specialist buy-to-let lenders and we're, we're, we're trying to enter that arena. Um, the, the kind of deals that we look at and for us, it's more uh, borrower-led a lot of the time. So we will look at first-time buyers, first-time landlords, we can look at foreign nationals and expats that have got no credit footprint in the UK or no income in the UK. So what we tend to say is that, you know, sometimes it might be that perfect storm of a borrower who, if you had one or two of those things kind of wrong with the deal, you may be able to place it. But when you start looking at three, four of those kind of um, points that I mentioned, it becomes a little more tricky. So what we do is we offer them a, a five-year deal. Um, the five-year deal itself has early repayment charges for the first three years of the loan. So you effectively have two years as a, as a roll-on at the same interest rate, which is fixed in. Uh, at that point, you can then you know, look at what the options are. Are you now opened up to go on to a different product with another lender? Um, or do you want to stay with Octane again? So 
for, for us, it, it is very much kind of borrower and property led because we can look up to large multi-unit freehold blocks, large HMOs up to 24 bedrooms. Um, and the big USP on it really is the fact that we look at 100% um, on the ICR coverage at pay rate. So our lowest pay rate we have is 3.99%. Um, so on some of the lower yielding stuff, if we're looking up to 70% LTV, you're looking at 100% at 3.99. The differential in borrowing amount you get on that rate compared to others um, can be as much as 10, 15% sometimes. Um, so that is a big USP for us. And we've started to do a lot of um, sort of smaller HMOs. So up to six bedrooms, we can now do on our wave one product, which is 75% loan to value. Um, the pay rate on that is 4.99% and the rental is stressed 100% at 4.99, which on a six bed HMO, you're gonna be, you know, should be covering it at pretty much all of them you're looking at. Uh, so it's a really exciting time for us. And um, we, we, we saw that over the last couple of months in terms of our, our business split, uh, how much more buy to let is now becoming a big part of what we're doing in terms of applications and completions on a monthly basis. Okay, sure. And in terms of those applications then, in terms of speed, are they being processed at bridging speed or are they slightly slower? Or? You, you sound like you're, you're, you're taking my BDM role, shout out to that sort of <laughs> chat. That is exactly what I say to people, is that the, <laughs> the, the, uh, the, the buy-to-let applications we receive are underwritten by the exact same team. So what it means is we can apply bridging speed to our buy-to-let applications, which um, is, is really, really important. And what we've seen in the past is over, over the years, I've worked with lots of um, new homes teams and new homes brokers uh, who have affiliations with the, the big developers and they sell a lot of property overseas to foreign nationals, etc. Um, those guys would come to us quite regularly for an initial bridging loan because they've been served notice on their contract to complete. They're not going to have enough time to go through a mortgage application, which may take a couple of months with, with the lenders that are in the space uh, offering loans to those type of borrowers. Um, they're now coming to us and going straight into a buy-to-let. And th that is one of the big things that we've seen a lot of is that they know we can deliver for their borrowers. Uh, and as, as you rightly said, their bridging speed on buy-to-let applications is a, is, a, is a great USP also. I've just come up with a tagline. You should keep yeah, no, going. I love that. I love that. <laughs> keep them coming. Sure. Now, um, look, investor approaches me. Uh, you know, I work for the investor. Say we want to come to you guys. My job is to package that deal in the best way possible. What would you consider is you know, a good package when it comes to having the deal? For, for, for me, it's, it's um, obviously having all the facts up front is pretty important when we're looking at, at new, new deals. Um, you guys present deals in, 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 you know, in a great way in terms of it's all clear, concise with the fact finder and data capture that you, you provide alongside the numbers that the, um, the deal that we're looking at. I think, I think over the last you know, couple of years and maybe beyond that, to be honest, you always find it's the same niggly things that, that either cause delays or may, um, may result in changes in the deal as it's moving through. And what I tend to find, especially when we're talking about the type of deals you know, you're mentioning in terms of the refurb side or, or the bridging side or a bridge with a, a planning play um, involved in there, you tend to find that the major things are usually the source of deposit. So source of deposit, especially when you have borrowers that may utilize investor money, um, you find that those can cause delays because May they may not have actually now down the investors that are putting the money in as yet, um, or the requirements of those investors that are putting the money in. Um, so for me, deposit is a is a massive thing. So even if you haven't got investor money, um, you know I'm sure you've seen this before in the past, Shaz, is that sometimes borrowers are a little bit coy in terms of telling you where the deposit's coming from, yeah. and 
It's because they naturally think that if they tell you it's going to be a problem because it's not their money. But it, it's, the reality of the situation is if you just tell, tell us, including you and us, where the money's coming from, if it's a gift, if it's a loan, if you're borrowing it elsewhere, if it's coming in from investors, typically all of those scenarios are more than acceptable and we can, we can move forward with them. It's just the quicker you tell us about it as to where the money's actually coming from, then we can make sure the relevant legal documentation and relevant um, documentation from the investors or whoever it may be is provided in a timely manner and it doesn't cause delays later down the line. So for me, deposit's a big one. Um, and the second thing really, probably on refurb, is around uh, costings. So the costings of work, where you find that that comes a little bit unstuck through the process is, is if borrowers provide... Um, or developers provide costings on the basis of them doing it or them doing it at cost price. Mm -hmm. And where you find those issues arise is that the, the value will obviously go out there and value the property and value the, um, the summary of, of scheduled works on the basis of a contractor carrying out the work. In sometimes the worst case scenario that the lender would have to step in and get this thing finished. How much is a contractor gonna do these works for? Which can sometimes be a, a massive difference versus what the borrower thinks that they can get in there and do the works for, which no one's saying that they can't go in there and do it for that, but it's just understanding the approach that the lender will have to uh, the, the works and schedule of works and costings that you're providing. So for me, just as two little kind of cherries, if you like, those are the two main points that I would say when you're looking at a deal and you're packaging it up to get those nailed down as to what costings you're providing and, and also where is the money coming from. Sure. And I mean, I can just give a quick example. So I've done m multiple deals now with you guys where yeah. the client has got money from other investors, and as, but he knows he needs to get uh, you know anti-money laundering checks on on that on their money, sorry, on their bank statements, get their ID as if they were potentially applying themselves. And once we've made that clear, it's happy days. It's an easy process. So yeah, you're flexible with where the money's coming from, but you need to know where the money is coming from. Uh, absolutely that, yeah, absolutely that. I think. Um it not only helps us, but it helps you and helps the borrower because uh, there's this particular deal you're talking about where, you know, even through the process, the borrower still is, you know, nailing down certain investors or where the money's going to be coming from. I've seen investors. on social media, he's still raising the money, which is, yes, you know, it's fine. Yeah, um, abs absolutely. But what, what also that does for him is then he can actually say to his investors, you know, if you guys are giving me X amount of pounds here, this is what I'm, you're going to have to also do alongside it for the lender that I'm going with. So at least he can um, keep them up to speed as exactly what documentation they've got to provide to him to make the investment. Absolutely. Now, you know, what? I'm, I'm, I'm interested. He didn't say solicitors slow things down because they get enough grief anyway. But I think it's always good to highlight that, you know, people should use and pay the extra bit of money for a good commercial solicitor who understands bridging. Because otherwise it's the difference between getting the money in three weeks versus six to eight weeks. Yeah, 100% and um, completely agree with that. I mean, Scissors obviously had, I've been getting a little bit of a hard time over the last couple of months um, with, with the initial stamp duty holidays obviously supposed to be coming to an end. There was um, definitely being overly worked. But yeah, totally agree with that, Shaz. I think, um, and again, that's where brokers, a broker's input comes in and, and is, is really important for working with lawyers that understand the process, understand the speed that's expected of them. Um, and more importantly, understands the documentation that they're going to be receiving. Um, I think that's the big thing because it's we, we've definitely lost weeks before on certain deals where a borrower has been adamant to use a solicitor that's been recommended by their you know family friend or conveyancing or whatever conveyancer or whatever, but they may not have the expertise in refurb or bridging, and it, it really does 
uh, create a lot of time delays. So yeah, if you, if you, as brokers, as I always say, and borrowers, use lawyers that understand the process, uh, it's, always, it's always a massive time saver. Brilliant. Now, um, Liam, just a question. So, and this next question is, is telling with what lenders say. You can often tell a lot by lender with how they treat their clients who are maybe at the end of the term and haven't got an exit plan or something's gone wrong. So let's just say during the pandemic, if someone's refurb went over way over what they thought it would be, how do you treat those people who are coming to the end? So I think where, where we've got the, um, the sort of product catalogue, if you like, of exit products, we've got uh, buy-to-let loans, uh, etc. For us, it's within our, you know, it's, with, it's within, within our power to say you can move on to our buy-to-let, um, you can get the property let, you can have some more time to, to get the property finished. It's more beneficial for us if we've got borrowers that have got finished projects because there's no, there's no point in, in forcing someone into a part-completed build. I think for us, where we, where we manage our refurbs on a, a monthly drawdown basis and we have our own asset managers reporting back to us on the progress of the builds, it, it's really, you know, there's not really that many surprises that spring out on us because we're, we're fully versed on understanding what's going on throughout the whole, the whole time. Um, we've been really lucky that we haven't had many issues at all on, on any of the loans that we've been funding through the COVID period. Um, I think a lot of that comes down to sensible lending at the start is, is really important and making sure that you're not putting borrowers on loans where the terms are too skinny. I think that's the, the, the problem you have sometimes is, you know, if you're going on a refurb term where it's nine months or six months, it's just, it just isn't enough time and you're going to fall into delays especially if you're sizing your, GD, your loan to GDV off of a term of six months and you're at 70%, that just means you're going to be in a hell of a lot of problems when it comes to 12 months down the line and you're still not finished or you need some more time to actually get the property sold or refinanced. So for us, we've always been extremely cautious on the term we're putting on a loan um, and working with our borrowers to ensure that those, those terms are um, realistic. And as I say, for us, it's, it's within our our nature to work with borrowers to make sure that everybody gets the end result they want. Absolutely. Um, now, I always think that even lenders who are innovating, they're always slightly playing catch up with investors. Um, like you say, you've got a you know, large suite of exit and term products, but where do you think Octane will be in terms of growing their business and different product ranges? Um, for, for me, I think the, the kind of big growth area for us at the moment is going to be these buy-to-let products that we have. Um, the five-year buy-to-let has been you know, massively popular over the last sort of three to six months. We, we soft launched it with some, some key brokers that worked with us over the last the last couple of years. Um, and now we're kind of bringing it out to the wider market. So I think the buy-to-let space is gonna be the biggest growth area. Um, and then it, it, you know, there are other things that obviously we're in the specialist lending world that we're not currently operating in, like ground up development, um, some smaller development schemes, land we're planning, we're not, not quite back in, in that space yet. So there's other, other, other spots that we were potentially looking at before where there is still opportunity to grow. Um, but yeah, I, I think for me, the major area will be the buy-to-let lending. Yeah, and again, I think, as I said earlier, I think a lot of the traditional short-term lenders are moving into that space. Yeah. Uh, whereas previously, you know, five years ago, if you were a short-term finance lender, that's all you did. If you were a mortgage lender, that's all you did. Now there is a bit of a hybrid and a bit of an overlap there. Yeah, 100%. Um, Liam, so from on a personal level, you know, where, what's your plan, five, ten year plan, apart from leaving Octane, of course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, three, three year rich. Um, 
Well, for, for me, it's just the kind of the, the excitement of being at Octane from as close to the start as um, as I was, and and working with the guys here, working with the team here. It's just continuing that journey. Um, you know, the the journey of personal growth. I've I've gone from joining here as a senior senior business development manager now to moving into a sales director role here. Um, I'm going to be looking after some of the new BDMs that will be joining on the buy to let side. So. It's, it's that kind of uh, personal growth and, and journey that I'm on with the team here at Octane and I just want to see how far that, that goes and how big this book can grow to, um, especially with the buy to let loans we're going to be doing. The book's going to be growing all the time with loans that are going to be staying on for three years to five years. So it's really, really exciting to see where, where, it, where it ends up and um, yeah, long may it continue. Sure. Um, what's the thought in the office in terms of you guys now or BDMs travelling back to see brokers? Is that back in the cards or is it all going to be virtual? Yeah, I think I think it is. I, I'm, I'm so I'm so like zoomed and teamed out a bit. Yeah. Um, it's it's uh, it's taken its toll. I think getting out and seeing people again, is, I'm really looking forward to doing it. Uh, there's nothing like actually properly meeting up with somebody, having a catch up coffee, and it kind of comes down to what we said earlier on, earlier on about that sort of talking to people over the phone and face to face is totally different than just sending emails and and whatever it may be. So, I think. Um, I actually, I've got my first couple of broker meetings in next week, um, and they are with people that I previously had meetings booked in for, but we've had to cancel because of lockdowns. So there'll be certainly a few outdoor coffees, a few um, <laughs> outdoor drinks and stuff uh, over the next few weeks, and then hopefully by the time May, June comes around, it will be business as usual and going out and seeing brokers and meeting up with people and hitting the road again hard. So yeah, I think we're all in the same boat in terms of, of wanting to meet up again. Good stuff. And I noticed that um, I think Mark and a few of the other people are on Clubhouse. Is that something you're you're into? Or? Do you know what? I've been onto Clubhouse um, when it when it well, not when it first launched. That's probably going going too far. But I've been on it for a little while now, and um, I've been involved in a few rooms with some of the brokerages that I work with, um, and, and had a, joined a few conversations on there. So I think it's a really great platform, especially for people looking to educate themselves in property. There's a lot of good people on there sharing some some wise words of wisdom and how to grow um so yeah it's, it's a great platform i think it's one of those ones that had the perfect timing to almost explode because everyone was just stuck at home doing nothing else so to go on to clubhouse was a bit easier i have found that since i've been coming into the office a bit more i've been using it a lot less um okay. because you know you're just sort of into your normal groove of your normal daily daily job but I do listen to it every now and again when I go out, like you said earlier, on a bike ride or something. I'll stick, I'll stick that in and just listen to a room as, I, as I'm going along. Um, but yeah, a great, a great platform for, for education, definitely. They've, um, they've started to monetize it now. You can tip the speakers if you want to. Oh, really? Interesting. I didn't know so that. I can, I can see all those um, seven-figure bios are now going to be tipped. Tip them some, tip them some Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Liam, so just as a kind of wrap-up now, any final words of wisdom? Um, do you know what? There's, just, there's been a few things we've, we've shared as we've gone through this today about the, the kind of packaging approach, the, the upfront nature of being um, you know, open about either good news, bad news, um, open about where money's coming from, investors' money, that sort of thing. And I think that the thing that I would take from it is that doing the basics in, in this role or doing the basics in a, in a broking development role is really... I think a lot of people take it for granted, and I think when you get when you get to do the basics correct, and you're doing them, you know, day in day out, the other good things that come alongside that, and, and everything kind of works itself out. But if if you're not doing those basics and fundamentals right, then that's when I think problems start to begin. But 
yeah, look, thanks for all your support, Shaz, and um, it's been good working with you, you guys over at uh, GPS. And uh, yeah, long may that continue. Awesome. Liam, thank you again for your time. Um, and thanks for listening, guys. No problem. Thanks, Shaz. Okay, people, that was Liam Lawler and that was Octane Capital. Now, let me share with you three tips when applying for bridging finance. One, exit strategy. Make sure you have a suitable exit strategy and a plan B just in case. Cost, overestimate and add contingency. Term, the same as cost, overdo it. It's better to have a longer term than needed. You'll only pay for what you use anyway. I hope that was useful. Please do leave a review and tell a friend and connect with me at Where's Shaz. Until next time, be humble, be grateful, be peaceful.